Hey, it's Andy. Every teen has their stuff they don't tell their parents about, not because they lack trust, but because they're trying to work it out on their own. As much as we wish we could be their go-to for everything, the truth is we can't always provide the objective guidance they need during these crucial years. That's where our partner, Bonfire Digital Wellness, comes in. Imagine your teen having a compassionate coach with years of experience as a high school counselor checking in weekly to support your teen's social, emotional, and academic growth, from fostering healthy habits to managing screen time and much more. The best part? It's all 100% online. Visit BonfireDW today and take advantage of a one-month free trial. That's BonfireDW.org slash Talking to Teens. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here with Nedra Glover Tawab, talking about how to have healthier relationships with teenagers. Nedra is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. She is a therapist and relationship expert who has practiced relationship therapy for more than 15 years. She has appeared as an expert on The Red Table Talk, The Breakfast Club, Good Morning America. Her work has been highlighted in The New York Times, The Guardian. She runs a very popular Instagram account where she shares practices, tools, and reflections for mental health and hosts weekly Q&As about boundaries and relationships. And she's the author of the new book, Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. On today's show, we'll see how many parents get caught in patterns of codependency with our teenagers. We're also going to dive deep into some ways that parents often neglect their children's emotions without meaning to or realizing it. We'll discuss control battles that parents get into with teenagers. We're also going to look at the idea of getting over your feelings and how we often ask ourselves, why is this bothering me so much? that there's a much better question we should be asking instead. We're going to get into why children can sometimes feel like parents are favoring one sibling over the other. All of that and more is coming up on the show today. Nedra, thank you so much for being here. You have a new book. I have a new book. Yay. I'm so excited. Yeah, Woo! I have a new book. It's really exciting. And your first book was how long ago was that? Two years ago. Yeah, they're a month apart. So two years ago. Okay. In those two years, what was crystallizing for you or making you feel like, you know, the next book needed to be this one that you've just written, which is Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships? Oh, gosh, I knew it needed to be that book the moment that I released it and I started getting so many questions about family relationships. I was like, well, that'll be the next book. So many questions. In my first book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, there is a chapter on families, but you know, family relationships are so complicated. So a chapter is not enough. Like we need a whole book, a whole bookshelf of books to really talk about all of the family stuff, not a chapter, but a bookshelf. So this is volume one. <laughs> and 
it feels like a lot of what you talk about in this book is kind of generational or how we're kind of replaying issues. A lot of the drama that we're experiencing in our families goes back to how we were raised or in our families when we were growing up. And I really thought this was interesting. You talk about how childhood issues impact adult relationships. What does that look like? Or how can we start to kind of gain some insight into how we might be replaying old patterns? I notice a lot with adults, you know, therapists, me, I'm the therapist, love to ask, when did you first experience this? And for lots of issues like lack of trust in your relationship with your partners, financial challenges, or just anxiety about the relationship, people will say, well, my dad did X or my siblings did this. And it's like, oh, okay. So this is playing out with the friend or with your partner or with your coworker. And so this is a really old wound feeling like maybe people don't hear you. It's like, I didn't feel her in my family. And so you've taken that to mean that people don't listen to you in general. And that's how you respond to people in the world. So very often the things that are very sensitive to touch within us are those really deep wounds that really surfaced in our families. You talk in the book about codependency, which is like you know, a term that I have heard before and I hear people talk about codependency and I like thought I understood it, but you break it down in the book in a way that really make, kind of crystallized for me what it really means or how it really works. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes. I think originally we heard codependency probably in the 80s. Well, I didn't hear it. I was a baby. I didn't know anything about codependency in the 80s, but the book Codependent No More came out and it like really crystallized that term for addiction, right? But really we can be codependent in any type of dysfunctional pattern within a person. You may have a person being codependent with someone who is emotionally neglecting their kids. You may have a sibling who says, well, I'll do everything for them. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it my job to take care of them. So there are many ways that we can be codependent. And in families, it sort of looks like taking on other people's issues as if they are your own. We may say, oh, this person can't do it. They're not equipped. They don't have the tools. We don't bother to teach them. We don't ask many questions. We just hop right in and fill in the gaps, which is not always helpful to people. Because people learn by doing sometimes. Sometimes they learn by failing. Sometimes they learn by us sitting back and coaching them, not always by us doing the thing for them. Many of our relationships, we have to work ourselves out of a job, even parenting. You know, the older the child gets, the less you you parent in some ways. Children will always need their parents, but a 30-year-old doesn't need a diaper change. So the things that we do for our children, it certainly shifts over time. And even with our siblings, you'll notice a lot of codependency in sibling relationships, because particularly when there is emotional neglect, the parents emotionally neglecting the children, there may be a sibling that steps up and says, okay, I'll take care of all of us, right? I'll pick you up from school. I'll do this. What do you need? And that dynamic sometimes doesn't shift. And you have this independent adult who's being bossed around by their, you know, 40 year old sister and they're 36. And it's like, whoa, what is happening here? And it's 
you know, it creates this codependent dynamic. So it's not necessarily like, oh my gosh, it's only when people have really severe issues. It is a way that you show up in relationships where you are tending to other people's situations, business, emotions, as if they are your own. And that kind of creates a cycle where the more we do things for people that they didn't really need us to do, but then that also enables them to keep just not doing it for themselves or not learning how to do it for themselves or never having to gain those skills or learn how to do whatever it is. And then they're just we're just going to keep feeling like we need to do it for them because obviously they're not doing it for themselves and obviously they're not learning how to do it for themselves. And it kind of just keeps going around and the cycle never breaks. Absolutely. I think of the dependency that we sometimes have on people. It can be healthy. You know, that's a part of relationships, right? To have like, oh my gosh, my car is out of whack. Can you pick me up? That's what, like that happens from time to time. But what happens when it's occurring all the time, all the time you have this need and I am the person to fill it. And with codependent people, they're very self-neglectful. They aren't taking good care of themselves because so much of their energy is given to this other person. So there's a lot of self-neglect there. It's like, well, I won't have so they can have, or they need more, or there's this never ending cycle of giving. The last thing about codependence, one common thing that you see is, they try to be codependent in other relationships and can find it offensive when people don't want that level of help, right? Because everybody's not willing to accept your help. There are some children, particularly when it's a parent and they're codependent with a child, it's like, I don't need that level of help. You're overhelping my sibling, which <laughs> I may not need, but I need something. So we really have to watch how that relationship dynamic not only impacts the one family relationship, but it trickles over into other family relationships. I feel like there's so much to unpack there because as your child is moving into being a teenager, there's such a shift that happens in sort of like where the line needs to be of what's codependent versus what's healthy. And obviously when they're really young, you're doing a lot of things for them, but as they get older, like, and their sort of ability to do things for themselves, or their capacity to do things for themselves increases, then you need to back off as well. And it strikes me what you're talking about with that kind of giving and almost over giving that can also create sort of feelings of resentment underneath that where, hey, I guess you need more help. I guess I need to help you with this again. And so it's like, we're over helping and we don't necessarily need to, which enables the other person to just not do it for themselves. But then also we're kind of like developing this undercurrent of like blaming them or, you know. Yeah, you you get this idea. You're now mad at this person for being unable to help themselves, but you haven't put them in a position to help themselves. So it's like this reoccurring cycle of, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of you needing me. What do you need? You know, so it's really interesting. I once worked with a mom who was not fully washing her son up, but certainly in the bathroom. Did you get your ears? Did you get your, he was like 12. And her husband was like, this is too much. Like, you should be able to leave the bathroom and just say, hey, go take your shower or something. It's not this like standing over him to make sure he's getting his ears. It's like, this is something else. 
you know, like this is a level of interaction that is probably too much. And it happens in other ways. It's not just the shower. It might be the pampering in certain ways. And I think we have to think about how how our need for attention impacts our kids or how our need for closeness impacts our kids. Because you mentioned teenagers. Teenagers, they become very fond of their friendships. And so there is this sort of separation from the family. And it's not a complete, I don't want anything to do with my parents, but it's like, I really enjoy spending time with my friends. I get to be myself. I get to show who I am. And you have some parents who will absolutely fight it. They're upset. I can't believe they want to spend time with their friends. It's like, that is so normal and healthy. I get that it hurts. What I think we're saying is that really hurts me because so much of my life has been um, focused on taking care of them, doting on them, attending to their needs. And now they're stepping away and I feel hurt. But how do you develop other relationships and not put all of that on the child or make them feel guilty for wanting these connections with their peers. So I think it's interesting because we do all of that, but then also at the same time, you talk about emotional neglect and how there are a lot of ways in which we maybe dismiss our kids' emotions or don't really make them feel seen for their emotions. It's like, what are some ways that that plays out or how can we do a better job of like tuning in to the emotions of our children? Most often parents do this by dismissing a child's emotions, right? So the child will say, oh my gosh, I had a hard day. And the parent will say, you haven't heard of hard days. You should hear my day. This happened to me at work. And it's like, Sounds like we have two hard days in the house, right? Like <laughs> your hard day isn't bigger than this kid's hard day because you're an adult and you think your world is bigger. It's not intentional, right? Neglect is something that happens by accident. It's an oversight. It is a not tending to. So it's not intentional harm, but it's certainly very harmful because if we can just close our eyes and think back for one second to being a teenager, to being a child, there are very important things that happen to us. Our world is very big. We're not in control of a lot of things. So me losing my blanket could be the equivalent of you, you losing your job. And we, we forget that, how big things were, because now we have all these memories of bigger things and you know all of this stuff to compare it to when in actuality, what the child is saying is valid and it makes sense for their world. And what you're saying is valid and it makes sense for your world. With emotional neglect, also I see parents sometimes not having very important conversations with kids that they need to hear or even talking to them about some of the things that's happening. There are many kids who might experience divorce and your parents don't talk to them about it. It's just like your lifestyle has changed and there's no real conversation to help you process those changes. So the absence of emotional support, the absence of emotional communication, naming, listening, all of those things are emotionally neglectful. Halfway through our chat, I want to remind you about the power of Bonfire Digital Wellness. Is your teen struggling with digital balance? 
Bonfire DW's coaching is designed to guide them towards academic success, stronger relationships, and effective screen management. It's about fostering resilience and healthy habits in a digital age. Give your teen the edge they need. Take advantage of a one-month free trial at bonfiredw.org slash talking to teens. Let's help your teen shine with Bonfire DW. What are some ways that we can get better at seeing those emotions or catching ourselves or realizing when we're being neglectful of our children's emotions and engage more deeply? One thing that could be really helpful is if we could just stop and pay attention. Kids will try to make bids for our attention. They try to make bids for our affection when they say, hey, listen, because they don't always want to talk. They don't always want to be engaged. So when they do, when we have the time and capacity, how do we make that time to be available to them? How do we make the time to talk to them about the big and small moments in their life beyond how was school today? Who did you play with today? How did it feel when your friend didn't invite you to that party? What's going on with this situation? Just as we would with a friend, just have some interest in their lives. You talk in the book about a need for control and signs that you're trying to control someone. I think that is really interesting for me reading this section because I think so much of what creates drama a lot of times between parents and teenagers is kind of that wrestling for control or you're controlling me and our parents even saying, no, my kid's so manipulative and they're kind of like trying to control me. And these control battles or these fights that we get into over kind of power, I think a lot of times cause a lot of conflict. And I wonder how you think about those or, or how parents can sort of see those in a different way. There are conversations we can have with children and teens where we're just discussing things. It's not about me trying to change your preference, but sometimes even offering a different perspective can shift theirs, but you have to be willing to listen to theirs. Yesterday, my six-year-old told me she wants, when, when I get older, I'm going to have a nose piercing. I'm going to wear black. I'm going to wear black lipstick. She had a whole profile of what she wanted to look like. And I said, well, what age do you think? I just asked her questions. I didn't say you can't do that. I don't like it. It's not my style. I just wanted to know more about her thought process. She's six. I don't know. She may change her mind, or at least I know who I'll see when she's 16, right? Like, (laughs) Either way, to me, it was like, this is worth a conversation. I didn't want to dismiss it and say, oh, you don't know what you'll do at 16. Maybe. (laughs) I just want to be there and talk to you about it. I don't want to tell you what to think about it, how to feel about it, because at some point when you turn 18, I won't have any control or influence over it. So you really can start to do what you want at that point. But I would love to talk to you about this and You know, some of the things she mentioned, it's not my preference at a young age, but as you get older, okay, I understand that. We want to decorate our bodies however we want to decorate our bodies. And it's just a conversation. So how open 
are we to having certain conversations, exploring things without saying, you shouldn't do that. Sometimes people just want to talk. And sometimes those people who want to talk are teenagers. That is so interesting to me because it seems like so often our reaction as a parent is, no, you can't do that. Oh, are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Not, not <laughs> until you're uh, 18, maybe later, but we don't really just engage with it. And there's, we're missing so many opportunities to just have conversations about their thought process. And I think that's a missed opportunity, but it also makes me wonder, well, what about if they're talking about something that we do really feel like is dangerous or is something that they shouldn't be doing, then when is it okay to say, no, no, um, you can't do that. <laughs> or At some point we need to set a boundary, don't we? Yes. When things are unsafe, when they're inappropriate for their age, when it doesn't make sense for your lifestyle, your religion, your culture, absolutely you say no. But do we say no to everything or are there some things that we explore? Some things are worth exploration and some things are worth placing a boundary. And that is the delicate balance of parenting. You have to figure out, is this a situation where I need to have a hard no, or I need to have a strong preference? Or is this a situation where maybe I just want to listen and learn a little bit more? Sometimes I find that when you listen to your kids talk about their friends and what their friends should do, you're really learning about your kid. So I love, you know, I'll invite my oldest daughter to tell me about her friends. Oh, she has a boyfriend. What do they do? I just want to get her understanding of what these things are and what it means, because you're telling me from your perspective what's okay, what's not okay. And as we talk, I can get in there, but I do a lot of questioning asking, right? So my daughter may say this friend did something. I said, you know, what would you say is a good friend versus a person who is not a good friend? And, you know, she'll go through, oh, that wasn't good friend behavior. Yeah, I, I didn't think that was good friend behavior either. She didn't want to talk to you the whole day. Ooh, that's pretty mean. So just <laughs> asking them questions. They have so many thoughts and their their world is it's so busy and so many things going on. And we can't assume that because we're older, we're older, that we have all the answers for them. I don't. They live in a whole new world with social media and vaping and all these things that I did not have. So I'm, I'm learning along with them. We're here with Nedra Glover-Tawab talking about how to have healthier relationships with our teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. There is this idea that we are going to forget, have some memory erasing, move past all of these things when in actuality, you know, a lot of unfortunate things, we just live with them and we continue in those relationships. It's not like I have to end the relationship because I recognize this thing as much as it is, wow, this happened. How do I want to continue? What do I want to happen next? It's not always... I need to get out of here. Please come save me. An apologizing parent to me is a uh, top tier good parenting. Apologies and attempting to change the behavior. I don't want to say that because you may have some parents who abuse the apology. They're constantly apologizing for the same thing and not doing better. But because so often people, well, I did my best. You know, I didn't have any resources. I didn't know what. And it's like, well, those are all reasons, but certainly not excuses 
to hurt another person or to not be emotionally present with them. Those are all reasons. And I get that and I understand that. And people still want some level of parenting. What we can do a better job of is modeling, accepting responsibility for your actions, because that'll help kids not lie as much, which I know parents have a big, you know, a big issue with, oh my gosh, my kids lie. And I'm like, where's your honesty? Are you a very honest person? Do they witness any modeling of lying behaviors? Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. In our language to other people, you have to make sure that you're not labeling them as a bad person overall. And you're sticking really to the behavior that you're trying to correct or that you're trying to speak to. You're always me. You're not always me. Talk in particular about the thing that just happened. Your brother said that wasn't nice because X. When you did this, it made me feel. It's not an overall character thing. It is in this situation or this day. You have to be very careful to not make it seem like their character is in question when it's one thing that they did. And it could be a repeat of something else they did, but how do we treat those things as as a new occurrence and not like, oh, you're all bad because every day at four o'clock, I will forever repeat some things. And it's not like, oh my gosh, you're a disorganized person. It's now truly every day you forget to take your lunchbox out of your lunch bag. But every day I would just say to you, hey, go get your lunch bag. So it's really about being delicate about you know, the things that may annoy you, because for parents, it annoys you to have to continuously stop a fight with your kids or tell them to clean their room. But when we don't want to do things, guess what? We don't do them. And we have to have someone say it to us over and over and over. And that is what we're doing a lot of times with children. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.